Good afternoon and welcome everyone. It's Dorothy Polarski from Midday Moms and um, I'd like to welcome you and thank you for joining us. Um, as you're signing on, could you please say a little hello in the chat box? Can you let us know where you're from? If you're Sandra from San Diego or Maria from Mississauga, tell us how many kids you have. Um, maybe, you know, if you have any questions that you wanted to ask Heather, you know, don't be afraid to say hello in the chat. I know some people are nervous about it. Promise we don't bite. We're a fun loving bunch. Um, please, you know, say hello to us in the chat. Hi, Camille from Collingwood. Yay, Camille, thank you for joining <laughs> us. Um, Liz Garcia from St. Dominic's Parish. Uh, Liz, I always love telling the story about you, how you and I met in kindergarten. <laughs> We've known each other a very long time. So good afternoon. Thank you for joining us again. Um, you'll notice today we're doing something a little bit different. We have... Uh, two hosts. We've got um, myself, Dorothy Polarski, and we also have a co-host, uh, Karen Armstrong. Karen's Karen, you from outer space. <laughs> uh, now, uh, Karen and I met at uh, Dun & Bradstreet when I was working in the corporate world um, many, many years ago, and Karen also um, met Cardinal Collins with me when we went to talk to Cardinal Collins about starting uh, a mom's ministry. Uh, Karen, do you want to just sort of say hello and tell people a little bit about yourself? And yeah. Thank you, Dorothy. Well, I'm very happy to be here today um, in working with Dorothy to interview Heather King, because uh, if you haven't read Heather, um, it, she's a wonderful writer and uh, she's got a great sense of humor, but she always is, has a way of capturing the eternal and the everyday. So um, she has blogs and many other things, but yeah, we'll get to that later. Uh, a little bit about myself. Um, I was very much a careerist uh, and uh, was, uh, you know, of that generation that thought we were going to, um, you know, uh, break the glass ceiling. And uh, so I had a lot of loyalty to the corporation. And, uh, and then um, after uh, I had my son, I started to uh, take a look at what was reasonable by way of my um, the demands on one's time, but more importantly, the demands on one's heart. And uh, that was uh, sort of a, a life-changing experience as being a mother can be, but um, it was really the um, journey back to my faith. And uh, that happened with a lot of Dorothy's help because uh, I was a lapsed Catholic um, with a capital L and uh, she started to invite me to the mother's groups. and. Um, that's when I started to get back to my faith in a more serious way. And um, it's been uh, it's been a really wonderful journey. So happy to be here today. And some of you I've met uh, who may be on today. So um, welcome and welcome to Heather. Yeah. And, and so Heather, where are you? Where are you physically right now? Where are you? <laughs> <laughs> I am in Tucson, Arizona. I just moved here last month after 30 wow. years in the LA area. So I'm in a big transition, but yeah, I'm in Tucson. Oh, wow. <laughs> now, Karen, can you a little bit more formally introduce uh, Heather using our formal bada boom bada bing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by all means, uh, you know, Heather, just to make sure I don't miss anything, I'm going to you know, I'm going to take a look at the notes that were provided, but um, Heather King is an award-winning memorist, columnist, and blogger with several books. Um, yes, uh, several books, uh, one of which is redeemed with a highly recommend. She speaks uh, nationwide, um, leads writing workshops, and uh, writes a weekly column on art and culture for Angeles News, which is the archdiocesan newspaper of Los Angeles. So uh, welcome, Heather. That's the, uh, that's the bio details. Um, but you've been blogging for quite a while now, haven't you? Yes, I've actually been blogging since 2010. 
So I have a, wow. a crazy yeah. archive of, um, <laughs> yes. And I've had my arts and culture column for seven years and I have, I think 13 books. So I have lots of, uh, lots of material. <laughs> and do. I write for Magnificat as well. So yeah. I've, I've seen some of your uh, articles in Magnificat and they're wonderful too. So um, that's great. Now, um, we're going to talk today uh, about a number of things. Um, you mentioned um, alcoholism, journey to recovery, conversion to Catholicism, and finding your vocation as a writer. So um, I guess uh, what we can start with is... Um, Begin at the beginning. <laughs> tell us oh, about okay. your. Um... Before we do that, I gotta just tell people. Oh, yes. Yeah. Sorry, Dorothy. <laughs> I want to know this, right? You can I, tell I, right from the get go. Yeah, I'm no sorry. problem. I have no problem interrupting just us like that. So, again, I wanted to just say hello to everyone that's signing on. We've got Tina from Trinity, Indiana. Thank you for joining us. Um, Thank, all the way from Indiana. That is so cool. Catherine Lewis, you've got boys ages two, five, and seven. A big warm welcome. Carmela from St. Uh, David's. I know that you've got uh, you've got uh, two sons and a four-month-old grandson. Hello from Lucy from Mississauga. Uh, Maria from St. Francis Xavier Parish. Hopefully we can start a mother's group there. Uh, hi, Claude, you're one of our regulars. It's great to see you. And Martine, uh, very great to see you too. And Eddie from Illinois, welcome. So I just wanna tell you a little bit about our ministry because you know some of you are here for you know the 52nd time and others are here just for the first time. So who are we and why are we here? Um, catholicmomsgroup.com, three words, catholicmomsgroup.com is faith partners with the Archdiocese of Toronto, and we are on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood, and we do so primarily by helping parishes start Catholic moms groups, and um, the pandemic <laughs> almost had the best of us, but thank goodness for technology and thank goodness that we're able to host these virtual uh, meetups. And our real purpose really is to help use these sessions to help us find mother's group leaders. So yes, I have an ulterior motive. <laughs> I wanna share with you um, a little video that we use to promote our ministry and hopefully that some of someone here will be touched to start a Catholic moms group. And um, I also want to begin for you to think about questions that you might have for Heather and start putting them in the chat box because I know many women, many moms suffer from many different types of addictions, not just alcohol. You know, we've got everything from social media addiction to food addiction. And so we want to be able to answer your questions. So maybe start thinking about them, or maybe someone in your family struggles with an alcohol. And you don't know, we don't want any confessions on the chat box, but just any questions you might have. And so I'm going to share our short little uh, video. And um, yeah, let me find the share screen here so we can share our short video and I've got the wrong screen, but there you go. So we help parishes start three types of groups, groups for moms only, for mothers and tots, and for virtual meetups such as this. Um, and uh, here's our little promotional video. We, we just had it made in the last little while. So we're very excited about it because we're, we're just <laughs> entering into, um, you know, uh, being able to promote it. Mothers, by our very nature, we are nurturing, loving caregivers. We are social beings made for friendship and community. We are also spiritual by nature made by a loving God to know him and love him and to pass this love of our Catholic faith on to our children. 
But right now, many mothers feel overextended, distracted, and exhausted. Though as Catholics, we have the community of our church, many mothers attending Mass could not name the mom sitting next to them in the pew they share. Community and support among Catholic mothers is desperately needed in this hectic and chaotic culture. Your parish needs you to bring these moms together. Hi, my name is Dorothy Polarski. I'm the founder of Catholic Moms Group. We at Catholic Moms Group are on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood. We exist to bring together like-minded, faith-filled mothers who crave community and are focused on spiritual growth, Catholic teaching, and fellowship. Can you imagine a thriving, engaged mothers group at your parish? A group of moms in love with their Catholic faith, ready to serve other mothers no matter what stage of motherhood they're at. Can you imagine what a difference that would make at your parish? Starting a mothers group, it's not rocket science, but working with a team who's done it before and who's done it dozens and dozens of times sure does help. The Catholic Moms Group membership site is an online community that offers training, resources, and dozens of tools for parishes to help them start a mother's group quickly and efficiently. We're here to provide you with a clear path to launching a Catholic Moms Group at your parish. All of our materials are 100% Catholic. We have clearly laid out meetup plans for both mom's groups and toddler groups. We are obedient to the magisterium of the Catholic Church. We have created dozens of tools that are going to save you time and energy. And besides that, we love our Blessed Mother. We constantly turn to her for her intercession. You can make a huge impact in your parish, so join us. We are revolutionizing the way parishes start mothers groups by providing parishes with a Catholic mothers group starter kit and by nourishing and training a community of Catholic mothers group leaders across the world. It's time to start a mothers group at your parish. Join us today. Pretty soon, some of you are going to be able to <laughs> recite that by memory. You've seen it. So I'm just so excited about it. I have to share it. Now, we know that Catholics don't like talking about a lot of things. You know, we don't like talking about, um, you know, women that are struggling with alcohol. We don't like talking about husbands that are struggling with, you know, pornography. And I think that as Catholics, it's extremely important we face some of these issues. So um, Karen, can you kind of lead into, uh, you know, um, the, the, what we were leading into just before I said, sure. <laughs> no. Cause we've always took that break. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah we're going to talk to Heather um, about um, her alcoholism, her journey to recovery and conversion to Catholicism. And finally her vocation as a writer. And um, what uh, I'm always so touched about, Heather, is when you speak, and I've watched a few of your YouTube um, videos, uh, is how open you are and frank about um, your past. And uh, I commend you because sometimes um, it's, it's not easy. But uh, I, too, can relate to, um, you know, addiction within the family. And uh, so I definitely um, uh, could... Uh, uh, I found your your story very moving and um, and and it's hopeful. It's so very hopeful. So maybe tell us about your alcoholism and your journey to recovery. Well, thank you, Karen. And I could I could speak. I've written books and books about about it's this, because my my alcoholism is really what brought me to um, to God first and then to Christ. So it's a deep, deep. I've been I just celebrated thirty four years of. Uh, sobriety last month so it really is congratulations uh, yeah. thank well yeah it's all all glory to god um 
but um, it really is the, uh, you know, that I have been relieved by some unmerited grace from the obsession to drink is really kind of a central fact of my existence from which everything else springs. And just to speak for a moment up to, um, oh, Catholics don't like to talk about this and that. Um, I mean, to me, one of my favorite verses in the gospel is Christ saying, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I mean, it's the, what did Christ come for? But to help the poor in spirit, but to help to drive out the demons, to heal the sick, to help the paralytic rise from his mat. So I think if we're, uh, to me, that's the, not that you want to dwell in sickness or wallow in disorder, but I mean, let's face it, this is the human condition. We're all, it's, I mean, the penitential right, we need mercy, we need to be healed from our sins. So to me, to not want to talk about what else is there to talk about in a way, I mean, where else to start? So, uh, and that's that's one of the reasons I'm very, I, I think I tend to be open about it. It's not a confessional um, phenomenon. It's It's bearing witness to, listen, if I could, if the church accepted me and if I could be healed, anyone can. So anyway, just just briefly, I, I was born and raised on the coast of New Hampshire, family with eight kids, fam parents were not alcoholics, lots of alcoholism on both sides of the family. And as it turns out in many of my siblings, um, but I didn't, I didn't know that growing up. I was a straight A student. I was, had a lot of promise. I was athletic and I played the piano and, uh, and I started drinking when I was, and I was raised in the Protestant church, by the way, I went to Sunday school for eight years, but sort of, I didn't, wasn't anti-God, just kind of thought God was kind of a hobby for people who had their, had, had it all together, sort of. Um, anyway, started drinking when I was a freshman in high school and just the very first time I drank, drank alcoholically, I blacked out, meaning I didn't remember hours of what I was, when you're in a blackout, you can walk and talk um, and you have no memory of it anything that happened the next day. Not a good sign for a 13 year old. So, um, and, and right away the phenomenon, I mean, I think the thing about alcoholism and all addiction, uh, and it's why I say that the spirituality of addiction, I guess, because um, it's, it's a mystery. I mean, to this day, science medicine can't really figure out, no one really knows totally what causes it. Um, there's no surefire cure. Uh, I myself happened with total grace upon a fellowship of recovering alcoholics that I will just say operates upon spiritual principles and, um, and is a kind of community uh, that has, that's how I've stayed sober all these years. But anyway, it was just an absolute right away. I was the obsession, the mental obsession, the physical craving. The physical craving didn't kick in. Uh, for, for several years, I was in high school. You couldn't even, I wasn't even old enough to buy liquor, but um, but right away, the, the kind of moral degradation started, the lying and the furtive, because um, I knew the effect that alcohol had on me. There was something, it made me feel too good at the beginning. It's, it's almost, it, it really is almost satanic because it it's this whispering, this lure of, oh, here's the answer. Here's the response to the deepest desire of your heart to be connected with other people, to be at one with the universe, to feel like I was lovable. And I was in the verge of puberty. And so all those, the both the terror and the fascination of the whole opposite sex, it just seemed, it was like a tranquilizer. It was like medication. That's the effect that it had on me. And even though I had really horrible repercussions from the first time, blacked out, had a horrible hangover, got in trouble, of course, at home, um, I just couldn't wait to do it again. I just wanted, I craved that feeling of being at one with myself and with my fellows. And so what followed was 20 years of just utter debauchery. I went, I, I, got a degree in social uh, service, even though I had no capacity or real desire to be social. <laughs> I have great admiration for people who are, um, but I, uh, social workers, but I had no aptitude for it at all. Then I went to law school, same thing. Uh, 
law school, no desire to be, I mean, I joke, even agreeing with people makes me nervous. I'm really not for, for a vocation that requires conflict. And um, graduated from law school with honors. I'm, I'm real good at taking tests, but I was by this time a morning, daily morning drinker. And uh, so my family ended up having an intervention for me. They sent shipped me off to this rehab in Minnesota for 30 days. And that, and, um, and, and uh, that was when something happened there where, again, by this unmerited grace, the obsession to drink was removed. And, and that was kind of began my journey with seeking this power greater than myself. I really wanted someone to thank. I think that was a basis and continues to be the basis of my kind of faith. It's, are you kidding me that I've been given a second chance? And I had a really bad track record, horrible wreckage from being a single woman in the bars. I had abortions. I had slept with people's husband. I mean, terribly promiscuous. I had a lot of sexual wounds. Um, and uh, and so it's and so all these decades since has been a kind of working out of that and I ended up getting sober. I got married and moved to LA, passed the California bar, had a big crisis of vocation because I knew I was not cut out to be a lawyer and I always wanted to be a writer. Deep, deep desire in my heart in my early 40s, making money for the first time in my life, and the call comes back louder than ever and ended up searching, searching. I found my way to the Catholic church. I found the courage to quit that job that I was not born for and to um, pursue my vocation as a writer. And that was, I came into the church in 1996. I started writing around that time, seriously, a couple of years before. And, um, you know, when the church has found a place for me, the world has found a place for me, the culture has found a place for me. And um, so that's kind of the thumbnail version of my story. One thing that uh, I've always wanted to do and never kind of, uh, you know, got around to doing it is, is inviting you to come speak at our, our Dynamic Women of Faith Conference. And hopefully once, um, hopefully once, the pandemic is over and we start having our annual conference. Um, we can do that. Now you, you've mentioned so many things because as I, you know, Karen is much more familiar with your work and much more familiar with your story than I am, but it just like so many things have jumped out at me. You know, you, you mentioned you've had an abortion, you've mentioned you've had, you know, sexual relations with other, and, and from what you said, you know, that grace pulled you out and that you became, you know, Catholic and now a prolific writer, what might you say to women that are listening today that maybe they're in the middle of some hot mess that they're mm -hmm. not confessing or they don't know how to get out of, or maybe you know, they're observing one of their kids in some ensnared in some type of addiction. Um, you know, you mentioned you had an intervention, you mentioned, you know, a support network. Um, let's pretend there's someone here that's struggling in the middle of an addiction. Um, what might you say to them to give them some hope, to give them some, what might be a baby step that they might take? You know, do you, mm -hmm. do you have any words for Mm. women out there today? Oh, well, the first thing I would say is um, if, if you're here today, you have a big leg up because that means that you have a heart for Christ. And if I can say anything, it's just like stay close to him. You know, I suffered also even many years after being sober with like a terrible love addiction. This was after, because I also... I'm divorced and had the marriage annulled, but I, I've always had this kind of, and it was horrible, went on for years. And there was no, with this is someone I never even kissed. I've been celibate for 20 years um, at this point, but I would just say, stay close to Christ, stay close, even if you can't feel anything, if you're obsessed, if you're in anguish, just keep going to mass, 
keep praying the rosary, keep talking to people, keep going to confession. And there's tons of help. I mean, I, you know, my fellowship is, um, we have a tradition of anonymity at the level of press, radio and films, and I don't want to hold myself out as a member of it or to promote it. But obviously there's, um, I think Christ, uh, he comes, he, he comes through other people. And so if you can find a, uh, say, say a fellowship of, uh, of people who are in recovery of some kind, and there's many, many um, such groups, um, I would, that, that's what I would say, avail, avail yourself of, um, of one of those, if you can, They're very much, um, uh, you know, these are gospel principles. We can't, the main thing with addiction is you cannot heal yourself on your own. There's tons of priests in recovery and they've been cradle Catholics. And, you know, I think as Catholics, we tend to think, oh, but I've got Jesus. Why would I need anything else? And it's like, well, Jesus works through other lots and lots of ways. He doesn't, <laughs> you know, he's not going to come to us while we're, uh, no matter how many rosaries you might pray, and that's, I pray the rosary every day, but the, the rosary is a window to, hey, here's some help over here. Um, so I would just say, right, just hang in. And I will say from my own experience, just like, just like the gospels, you know, we're pruned. We go through these dark, these deaths of certain kinds of our identities, and then there's a resurrection. And, um, through all my suffering and addictions and not that my sufferings are worse, of course, than anyone else's, but really something new has been made of me and all the suffering of those. I had three abortions. I've written about it. This is before obviously my conversion, but I mean, deep, deep wounds. But what that has led to is my station in life now where I'm, as I said, single, I'm celibate, I have no spouse, I have no children, and I have never felt so much love. Give the flow, being in the flow of love. I'm a spiritual mother, I must say, I think, to many people in recovery, people who write to me, people through my writing, people um, in my workshops. And so there's, um, just like the Psalm says, Yay, though I walk through the valley of death. Um, if we stay close, I just, my experience has been, we come through. But um, there's, a, there's a surrender involved of, of and it's our, our uh, surrender of our egos, of our fear. Um, and I have found when I throw my lot in with other people who are guided by spiritual principles, that's, that's when things start to change. You know, when I, as, as spiritual as I am and as sensitive and as deep and a deep thinker, I don't know a thing about how to, how to get myself out of this addiction. Yeah, and I, I guess too, if, could you say something because I'm, I'm getting some questions in the Q and A that people are asking to, to keep private, which I, I want to respect and keep private. Um, but what words of encouragement might you have for women who have either uh, a son or a daughter or a husband ensnared in some type of an addiction mm -hmm. and, um, and they don't believe in God? Like, you know, very often we hear at our Catholic moms groups that well, I'm devoted, but my husband is not. And that's become a, a huge cross. And so um, do you have some words of encouragement for uh, <laughs> women that have sons, daughters? The other thing too, I, I just, sorry, I, I got so excited in hearing your very short testimony because um, I know, but you know, to, here you were a, a successful lawyer and you had the courage to say no to that, that God was calling you to something else and then spiritual mothering. So there's a lot of meat on the bone here. Yeah. <laughs> First say something to the women that have either children or husbands that don't believe in God and are ensnared in some type of uh, addiction and are in denial. Right. 
Well, yes. And I will say it. And it's the same thing I would say to someone who's got a, a spouse or a kid who does believe in God and is snared in addiction, because those things are not mutually exclusive. Um, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But I would, the thing about addiction, and there are also um, 12 step programs that have been specifically developed because you will lose your mind, right? Trying to fix and rescue the alcoholic. And the, I mean, just in a nutshell, I will say vis-a-vis -vis addiction, we didn't cause it, we can't cure it, we can't control it. So don't wear yourself out trying. For sure, pray for the person, treat them with love and respect and like give up, completely surrender any idea of manipulating them, shaming them, um, pointing them towards instructional books. Pray for them and go about your own life because your efforts are just utterly, I say this as someone who is, everyone I've loved practically ever has been an alcoholic. My family's riddled with alcoholism. And I also, I'm the only one in my family who's converted or even I think like barely, no, I won't say believes in God, but like they're completely, completely uninterested in my writing and basically in my recovery. So um, I know that that phenomenon of being at mass and praying and sweating tears of blood and how can I help and how can I intercede? And, and it's all, I mean, for sure, I think we do, we pray and Absolutely, because we never know. I mean, there obviously there's kind of intercessionary type miracles, but I do think the best thing, the most, the best glory that we can give to God is to go about our own life. What have I been put here for? I haven't been put here to martyr myself. You know, when Christ says it would sound that really harsh sounding statement, let the dead bury their dead. And I think part of what he means is we're not. We're called to honor our family. We're not called to put ourselves in the coffin with them if they are intent for whatever reason on say drinking themselves to death. I'm not called to die with them. I'm called to live. And that's a really, really tough um, road to hoe, especially as Catholics, because we're, we're called to give until it hurts and all of that. And we honor our martyrs, but a true martyr does not um, go down into the grave with the person uh, who's committing suicide. Yeah. You're, we're called to live, so. Yeah, and you know, I guess too, in, in, in you know, ministering to moms in this ministry, there's like so many different stories that, um, that, that I've heard. And yes, I have to sort of keep the, the, the confidentiality and and what you said really resonates with me just this whole idea of you know women almost you know wasting their lives or um, it's like you know your job isn't to be the rescuer of a person who is spiraling downwards because god's will for your life can't be fulfilled if you've taken on this, this remarkable role. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that you've heard of the book, you know, Women Who Love Too Much, because I think I suffered from a bit of an affliction. I think, you know, out of all of us want to be loved. Um, there's another question here that um, is being asked kind of persistently. So I'm gonna throw it out there because I wanna respect, um, you know, the women that have joined us, um, is that why do some people get healed from addiction through prayer and rosaries and novenas and other people are not. I have prayed for healing daily and deliverance from addictions for my family and still, still, still. Um, do you have any, that's like a huge question. I don't know if anyone could answer it, but do you have any <laughs> on that? Yeah I, mean, yeah, I mean, that would be sort of an, a question only God could answer, but um, but as I said, it's, um, we're not, I mean, to, to uh, we're not in charge of whether our prayers are answered in the way we think they should be. I mean, prayer, I think, always avails because it opens our heart. It changes us. Um, 
But um, I think the deeper question is maybe what does it mean to be healed from addiction? I mean, to me, addiction is a symptom of an underlying spiritual, emotional, mental illness. So to put down the booze or the porn or whatever, wonderful. That's definitely the first step because that's a prerequisite to continue to recover. But recovery is really a whole lifelong movement toward integrity, toward spiritual wholeness. That is not something that is cured on the instant. Um, even people who have sort of white light conversions um, I mean, that's great, but they're temporary, they're ephemeral, and you still have to struggle through. So um, I think uh, my prayer would be uh, for my alcohol, active alcoholic and addict friends to find their way to the help that they need um, to, to embark on a lifelong journey of recovery, um, not so much to be kind of struck sober, but as to why... Uh, and how do we know if someone gets sober, how do we know that it was our prayer that did it? That's the other thing. You know, it might look from the outside like, oh, prayer healed this person. We never really, I think, know. I know my own mother's prayers for me. I'm sure. I mean, I just, I think mothers who pray for their kids, right, um, Pray for them, but don't enable them and don't put their own lives on hold. I think that's really, Christ didn't, Christ, I've, I've heard it said, was the perfect recovered codependent. Christ did not put his life on hold for people. He healed the people who wanted to be healed. And if people are going to be healed from alcoholism or addiction, they have to want it themselves. It can't be because we want it for them. And if people didn't want to be healed, he moved on quickly. He knew he, he couldn't heal everybody. So he was always, when you read the gospels, right? It's always, do you want to be healed? He asked the paralytic by the pool. So I think we pray for, for the addict to be willing to be healed and then pick up our own mat. And why are we not taking that drawing class that we wanted to? Why are we not getting our teeth cleaned? Why are we not getting our oil changed? Why did another day pass with us agonizing about the alcoholic, right? I know what this is like. <laughs> and as you said, Dorothy, we can, you can sort of let your whole life fritter away. Yeah, and the, I, I wanna kind of, um, I guess, change gears a little bit sure. channel flipping here. But Karen, because uh, I want to turn a little bit to your writing and 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 Karen, I know that you you just really, really um, love Heather's writing. Can you Karen, can you tell us why you like Karen's writing and why, why I like my writing? No, I can tell you why I like Heather's writing. Yeah, that's right. Um, well I can't even remember exactly when I first um, stumbled on your work but um you have a lot of blogs that i signed up for and i am i'm very adverse to getting random um you know messages from uh, organizations or <laughs> wherever right and uh, so those though have really been um things that i look forward to and so what is it that appeals to me so much um well you know I've mentioned before, I think one of the things is that I can relate so much to some of how you unravel mysteries within our own personalities. And, <laughs> and you know, it, talking about how mothers, for instance, uh, bend over backwards to try and help um, an afflicted family member. I mean, in the end, it there is an element perhaps of that um, in, in desiring to be a people pleaser or thinking that this proves my love to the degree to which I can completely sacrifice myself. And, and there's a, a dishonesty about that, that a lot of um, Catholics may not even understand. And there was that wonderful blog you wrote about um, uh, St. Therese and her awakening on that level that um, she was a, a people pleaser and she had to uh, become conscious of the fact that um, 
if you respond constantly to that, then it starts to substitute your real um, responses and your real um, uh, requirements in the moment to be uh, honest and heartfelt. And so that's one of the things that your writing exposes for me in the daily, mundane, everyday uh, issues that we have to deal with is just how there is the eternal. And, um, you know, the blog that I commented on recently was about a friend who hadn't gotten gone to the dentist. And so it had become this big block that had that prevented him from being able to move forward in his life. And you commented so beautifully about that. So that is one of the things that I have responded to so, so much in your writing. So, of course, so, so can you tell us how many books did you say that you've written? I think it's 13. You've written. <laughs> and so tell us a little bit about a couple of your books that might, you know, be helpful for to, to, to inspire either the alcoholic or a friend of the alcoholic. Um, tell us where, where can we get your books? How can we get access to these emails? Would love to, would, you sure. know, love to share, you know. Yes. Yeah. So tell us more about your writing. Oh, oh, good. <laughs> Nothing I'd like better. Um, well, first of all, my, uh, my website where you can find out everything about me and that I sort of have is heather-king.com. Easy to remember. And my blog is on there and um, all of my books have their separate page and my arts and culture columns and videos, etc. Um, I will say my first book is called Parched. It's a memoir and it really is a memoir about the, the um, my childhood and my uh, central wound being alcoholism and kind of awakening from that. It's very uh, raw and, uh, you know, my life in the bars, but it ends at rehab. Um, so in a lot of ways, it's my, it's my favorite book. Um, then my next book is Redeemed and that's a book about my conversions, conversion memoir, working as a lawyer in Beverly Hills and having this big, as I said, uh, spiritual crisis. My third book is Sure to Flame, A Year with St. Therese of Lisieux. And thank you, Karen, for mentioning Therese, who's kind of my patron saint, I would say. I have a bunch of them, but um, Therese is dear to my heart. And uh, exactly because I feel, I mean, listen, this is the thing. Christ said, love, it's his last commandment to us, his greatest commandment, love one another as I have loved you. Well, how did he love us? I mean, you could spend your whole life and we're called to, to, to contemplate that. He was not an enabler, right? It's like my yoke is easy and take up your cross. And, um, and so this journey through, right, what, what are my blocks and wounds? What is my pattern of, of interaction and personal relationships? It's a deep, deep question. And as women and mothers, we are peculiarly equipped as your beautiful video, uh, Dorothy talked about, where we women especially were made for relationship, for conversation. So. I think we have a, a great capacity to examine. Um, yeah, these are kind of, in my case, definite codependent patterns and, you know, long journey. I, I think, and this weaves through all my books of um, whether it's my most recent book, which is about my garden that I, this big garden that I created in the backyard of my apartment in Pasadena, California, um, I've written a book about healing from abortion. Uh, I've written a book about food, famished. Um, tell me, tell me a little bit more about the one about food, because that's my nemesis. Okay, struggle. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, famished. It's a book of essays, um, and it's really about food as. Eucharist, how food draws us together. And it's all different. I mean, there's an essay about the childhood, the table around which we all had supper, right? It, I mean, if you're as old as I am, I'm going to be 70 uh, next year. Um, yeah, I mean, we had supper, all of us around the table. That's how you did it in those days. And all of us still, um, so that's one essay. There's 
urban foraging, there's um, the crazy Armenian markets in LA, but it's all kind of, and it has recipes as well. But I don't have, I mean, if I don't, it's weird. I don't really have food addiction stuff. I have food hoarding. Like I'm always, I love free food because I'm always afraid like stuff is going to run out. But anyway, it's a great, I, I think it's a, it's a wonderful book. It has color photographs and it's all about food as, as what, Christ knew us so well, right? You'll know him in the breaking of bread. It's such an- so I, I, I hate to interrupt you, but I got so many questions coming up in the yeah. chat and I want to make sure I- uh, one, Yeah, go ahead. One woman mentions here, and maybe you could give her some hope or encouragement. And again, I'm switching channels here. Yeah, go ahead. She mentions that, um, that her dear sister that she was very, very, or that was very, very close with that they just- recently discovered that she's been an alcoholic for years and nobody knew and that there's been dozens and dozens and dozens of lies and that she was in rehab but you know that she's been told that she's not allowed to ask her any questions and so it's created this this very painful chasm in the relationship because Number one, I didn't know you were an alcoholic. Number two, okay, you were in rehab, now you're out. And I guess she was just very blindsided because she was very close to her sister. And now she doesn't even know how to be in relationship with her because she's not allowed to ask her any questions. And mm -hmm. she's got thousands of questions. And like, how do you be in relationship with your sister that you were very close to that you didn't know was an alcoholic and now you can't ask any questions, you know? So do right. you have, like, it's, it's complex and I don't know. Do you have any thoughts for that, that mom that's written us? Um, I will just say my heart, my heart goes out to you. It's kind of the essence of, of all addiction, I think, is secrecy and isolation. And it's incredibly hurtful and wounding and bewildering to the people around it. So you're not alone, number one. Someone, um, I just quickly looked, mentioned in the chat, uh, and so I can, <laughs> Al-Anon, um, I can't say enough um, or, or can't uh, kind of second that enough. Um, I, I mean, it's just to, I'm not trying to promote Al-Anon, but just to read the literature. I mean, this is an organization that's been around for decades and decades tells us alcoholism is a family disease. We're all part of it. We all learn these patterns. And so I think just to educate ourselves and meanwhile, just again, leave her, accept that for now, you maybe are not gonna have much of a relationship with her or a very changed relationship. That's a lot, but I would just work on accepting that. And again, going about your life, leaving her, sort of detaching with love, letting her be. She's gonna do her thing. And you pray that you'll reconcile and, and come together and things will start to unfold. They may, and they may not, and they may not for a long time or maybe ever, or something great might happen tomorrow. But again, it's like we're powerless, powerless, not helpless over our own lives, powerless over the disease. She's got a sickness and I think the other thing about alcoholism, it's like you what, just want to kill the person because they're so maddening. And it's very hard to remember they're a sick person. We wouldn't want to kill someone with cancer. And it doesn't mean we have to cooperate with their bad behavior or underwrite it, but they're a sick person. And it just doesn't help us to resent them. Yeah, and, 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 and two, I think that when someone like that or the, a situation like that is thrown into our lives, I, I, you know, I always say that it almost calls us to grow into deeper love and yes. oftentimes go to confession more because we have to face this hatred that we have towards this person that we can't control, right? Totally. And we can't have hatred in our hearts. And so sometimes we're being forced to grow into deeper love um, another person that's made a comment, and I'm kind of assuming that they'd like it private because they've just posted it to the panelists, but it's a great idea um, that it's also a very good idea 
to offer um, private masses for the intentions of um, people that are struggling with addictions. And so, you know, we don't want their names plastered over every church bulletin. So to offer private masses for a specific intention. Um, I know personally, I've almost written my personal memoir to the Mother Angelicus nuns, you know, begging for intercessory prayers, um, you know, for this ministry, for other intentions. So to ask for intercessory prayers is also yeah. a very powerful tool. And um, this person also mentions um, is to do a fasting with a specific intention um, that fasting is a powerful so you might offer a a day of fasting for the intention of billy joe's uh social media addiction right so attach yeah, yeah. Some, some type of intention yeah yes yeah, those are beautiful those are the the tools as well right deep almsgiving prayer fasting right those are our our kind of primary tools so those always um are always at our disposal. Now, I, you know, again, they help change us too, which is, as you said, Dorothy, it's often the problem. <laughs> I become part of the problem because I'm so, I so want the person to change. Yeah. Now, have you found in any of the 12 step programs um, that sometimes there is, and not all of them, but that sometimes there is an anti-Catholic sentiment that we need to be careful of in certain groups? Have you ever found that or? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> yes, because people have a lot, a lot of people have a lot of Catholic baggage and um, or God baggage in general. And I think that's true. It's true across the culture. As we all know, everyone feels free to bash Catholicism. Um, it's, against the traditions of, I mean, it's against like common decency and the traditions of, uh, however, I, I feel like, as you said, Dorothy, I'm always called all this, these kinds of persecutions and um, insolvable, but they, they draw me deeper in love. Oh, this poor person has a horrible, uh, can I just let it go and not have to take it personally? The insult is to Christ, it's not to me. Mm -hmm. do you know yeah um, but in general i think uh yes in, in general so, it's, it's, so i'm just sort of also cautioning you know folks because sometimes you know I, I and i did it myself when it comes to um you know for a, for a time i was involved in in you know in yoga and in some new age stuff and like you know kind of like women we pour ourselves into something and then we go oh, shoot that just messed me up <laughs> I shouldn't have poured myself into that, right? right? So so even in the process of, you know, searching for healing, we can get more messed up. Um, Karen, uh, I, I, I keep on just jumping in because I'm so excited to meet Heather. Uh, do you have any kind of, uh, you know, thoughts in this area? I want to kind of pipe in with you. Um, well, I, I do think that... Um... You know, we have to be careful, particularly if we're seeking help and we're already vulnerable, right? I've, um, I've, I've gone to several 12-step um, programs, not for alcohol, but um, for other, you know, for uh, food. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's interesting. The modern stance seems to be um, we don't surrender to anyone. And um, if we don't learn how to surrender, I'm really not sure that, um, you know, we can find our way out on our own. Some people can, um, certainly, but um, I think we just have to know that um, whatever we seek, um, the answer is, is God. And if you're Catholic, you know, you can look for it in uh, the words, you can look for it in the sacraments. And I mean, if there is a fellowship that you can, um, that provides support, not everybody maybe is going to look at their interpretation of God within those confines the same way you will. So just, you know, be aware 
of that and um and then let that be your guide but uh I, I so agree with what's been said here. Um, you know, I, I noticed in some of the comments too, some mothers are very worried about what's happening with um, their, their children in respect to um, social media and how it's become this all-consuming addiction. And uh, that's something that um, could affect an entire generation. So mm-hmm. it just makes all this more pertinent you know, what you're telling or what we're discussing here, because uh, so many young people are um, finding, you know, uh, approval away from the family and away from God. And uh, it's it's never satisfying and it's never truthful. So, you know, this is something that, um, again, sort of bears down on, on this discussion, how important it is to just make sure that you're... Um, you're developing a prayer life and you're really uh, trying to be as honest and vigorous with your own, um, you know, your own condition of your soul. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it being June being the month of the sacred heart, uh, it's, you know, I, I often reflect on the promises of, you know, that our blessed mother gave to those who, um, pray the rosary. And then I also like to focus on the promises that, you know, that, um, that the sacred heart gives us when we honor, you know, Jesus's, you know, sacred heart. Um, so we're, we're coming to a little bit of a, a close here. And uh, Judith Mazzona has recommended a book Addiction and Surrender, A Spiritual Perspective by Judith uh, McNutt. Um, Heather, do you have any sort of closing thoughts, any closing words, any, anything you'd like to share with us? Oh, I just thank you so, so much for having me. Um, and I, I, I guess I would, I, I think just to remember, to me, addiction, all addiction is a misplaced search for God. And um, Christ finds us. I mean, I came to Christ through an organization that never mentioned him by name. Um, And so I think when we pray, just to remember to be open, we don't direct the way that the prayer is answered. And I think to be open to, oh, maybe having the prayer responded to in a way we didn't expect, because isn't Christ surprising? (laughs) <laughs> and uh so that's that's what i've kind of seen and there's just yeah let's stick close to him and to mary <laughs> <laughs> and uh it's you know it's also so beautiful that all of your experiences you know the good the bad the ugly the beautiful that i just have this sense that it's all of those experiences now that are helping you relate to your readers and helping you reach out to maybe people who are in the thick of that now. And, uh, you know, there's nothing that for me personally, there's nothing more off-putting than the, you know, holier than thou, you know, Catholic, you know, I've never sinned in my life and I'm going to teach you how to be saved. (laughs) I'm like, get out of here. I can't write to you. So it's just so beautiful that you're, that you're using um, all of that experience, you know, to minister and to be a spiritual mother to thousands and thousands of, of, of women. And um, for any of you that are struggling right now, because, you know, I, I know that I forget the year and I, it was probably years I struggled with depression for a variety of you know different reasons i i i had hashimoto's disease and i needed thyroxine and i didn't know it and i was in the depths of despair there and you know just many different episodes and the one thought that saved me and i'm hoping it'll help someone else that's here today is that if you can tell yourself that my experience today is going to help me help someone at a future date, then that experience right now isn't so painful because it kind of reminds me 
that it's going to be a gift to someone else later. And so um, your suffering is not being wasted. And, um, you know, I had a good old fashioned mother who was a survivor of World War II, who was, you know, kind of pulled out of the rubble as a teenager by Marian priests. And one thing that she always said to me, which I didn't really understand at the time, is that whenever you're suffering, Dorothy, um, is to say to Christ, you know, Jesus, I take this suffering and I unite it with your suffering on the cross and for the redemption of, or for the intention of. Um, I just wanna close with a, just a story that'll might make you laugh. My mother had broken her hip, she was in the hospital and my sister and I were in the hospital room as they were having to straighten out her hip that had just been broken. And she was in excruciating pain and she's screaming, Lord, I offer this pain up for my past sins. And I'm like, Ma, would you offer some of your suffering up for me? And she looks up and she goes, no, are you kidding? I got enough for <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, and so sometimes I find Catholics don't know that you can use suffering um, in a powerful way, you know. Uh, so just some comments here. Um, uh, Judith Mazona, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8. Uh, 28. You might want to tape that on your fridge. Romans 8, 28. Um, Lynette says, I've leaned on that verse so often. We must surrender and trust. Sometimes it's hard, but yes, God is faithful. Uh, Brenda Esmond says, you know, thank you for sharing your story. We all need to be merciful with ourselves. Sister Faustina's Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We want to thank each and every one of you for, for joining us. Um, any closing comments, uh, Karen, just before we sign off? Um, no, I just, uh, on that point, though, that you were saying about suffering and how it will benefit someone else, I, I have to say, the first person that benefits is myself right? Because it teaches me so much, right? But uh, thank you, Heather, for sharing your story. And um, to all who attended, uh, your participation's um, really terrific. So um, and thank you, Dorothy, of course, for hosting. So and, and, and Heather, what are your closing thoughts? I don't want you to leave. I just <laughs> yeah, that's right. No. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, can we hang out for like yeah, five that's hours? That's <laughs> okay. Please have me up to Toronto or, or wherever. That's where you are, right? Oh, yeah, I would yes. love to come. <laughs> I would, I, I mean, I'll just say, I wrote a book, another one of my recent books um, is called Ravished Notes on Womanhood. So I'm with you completely about the celebration of womanhood, our, the crown of womanhood being our capacity to bring new life into the world. And uh, so uh, Jesus spoke to the women Eighth station of the cross. He loves us. He depends on us. That's what I would say. <laughs> How old did you say you you are? Me? I'm going to be um, 69 in on July 19th. Yeah. So I, one thing that I, uh, I I've got on my fridge is that I want to wear out and not rust out. But you're. <laughs> Yes, we have to keep going. (laughs) That's just amazing that, uh, you know, like I keep like you go girl, which is fantastic. (laughs) Fantastic, Um, yeah. So I'm going to invite you all to visit um, Heather King's website. Judith has done a great job here. Judith, I love when you come on. You haven't been on for a while and I missed you because Judith always does a really good job in putting all the websites and scripture passages. Oh, and I'm also going to ask you to follow us on Instagram. Three words, Catholic Moms Group. That's our handle, a Catholic Moms Group. And I'm also going to encourage you to make um, donations through PayPal to our ministry uh, because, you know, we have some real expenses 
And uh, some of you have been really great about making a, a regular donation. Uh, some of you haven't, and I love all of you, whether you make them or not, but just please know that we do need them and we do depend on them. Um, and yeah, so I'm gonna close with um, my favorite song and it goes something like this. I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh and pray a prayer. Seems we just get started and before you know it, comes a time we have to say so long. Goodbye, everybody. Please one Thank one. you. But I love you. Next week, we have Father Josh from St. Michael's Cathedral Basilica giving a reflection on the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So sign up. And if you enjoyed it, tell your friends and tell them to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Midday Moms, and invite them to come next week. Okay. So thank you, uh, Heather. Love you to pieces. Um, I gotcha. <laughs> that was great, Heather. Thanks so yeah, much. No, I had a lot of fun because uh, you know some Catholics are too foo foo, and I can't really be myself. So, thanks <laughs> 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 for being the real deal. Uh, great chatting with you, and we'll see everybody next week. Uh, love you all, and thank you for joining us. And we'll talk soon. Okay. Okay. Right. Bye, -bye. bye. Bye all. Bye. Bye. Thank bye. You. Bye. -bye.